0: Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. Good evening, good evening, good evening. How are you guys doing this evening? It's so good to be with you guys. Hello, Hello. good evening. My name is Courtney. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I am one of the leaders and teachers here. That get to spend my Wednesdays with you guys. It's so fun, for real, actually. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Did you guys get any of the sunshine today? A little bit. It was like come and go. You know, I wanted to like run outside and stand the sun and then run back in when the clouds came and run back outside. It's good. I'm like a solar panel. Anybody else feel like a solar panel? You just need to soak it up. And then I get a sunburn. It's bad. Yeah. Man. Well, guys, welcome to the courtroom this evening. Are you ready for what is about to happen? Welcome to the courtroom um, it's been kind of funny in my life. Um, i How many of you have uh, physically been in a courtroom? Anybody? Olivia was there today. She works in relation to the courts and justice. <laughs> She's been accused of a major crime. Just kidding. Anybody physically been in a courtroom? Yeah? How many of you are like, I haven't physically been there, but I know exactly what it's like because I've seen it on TV. Judge Judy! Judge Judy. Guys, I was of the club back in the day where um, there was nothing on TV but like um, the Andy Griffiths show and what's the Perry Mason? Nobody of you have no idea what that is, but it was like a black and white crime solving show. It was awesome. You know what this is? Yes. Okay. Crime scenes, courtrooms. Here we are. We're in the courtroom this evening. Um, I've never physically been in a courtroom I don't even know what it really looks like. I've seen it on TV. I feel like I get the vibe, right? You usually have, you know, the judges stand. You have the jury, right? I've had this weird kind of fascination, though, with uh, court, um, namely because it's my nickname. <laughs> what? I got uh, confused with the Instagram um, this evening because it was like, court is in session. I'm like, yes, I am, actually. I'm teaching it. Wait, that's not what he's saying right now. I, I It's been weird because my only my brothers and my mother ever called me court, only, only my brothers and my mother ever called me court. And then I moved here and there's this weird like nickname culture. Have any of you been nicknamed by Sam? Yes. yes, yes. No, um, Almost everybody in this room, right? <laughs> we have this weird like nickname culture here. And then as soon as I started, uh, like being a part of that, I just, everyone calls him court. It's great fun. We have this weird uh, thing in my house where my oldest brother's name is Justin and my other brother's name is Derek and Justin apparently means justice Perhaps. There's a justice in here. Where are you? Oh, is he going to the bathroom right now? Somebody catch that guy. All right, and then my brother's name, Derek, apparently means gifted ruler. So we have this joke in the house that justice rules the court. Yeah, that was low on the totem pole there. Always the youngest, always the baby, but I get my way eventually. Anyways, welcome to the courtroom this evening. We are going to experience on the front lines, a trial this evening. We are going to have a trial in session. There's going to be a verdict that is going to come down at the end of today. And I'll tell you that this verdict is going to be really important. Not just for those involved in the case, for those who are on trial this evening, uh, but this verdict is actually going to have a lot to say about you and I. The verdict of this trial is going to change the way that we think about ourselves. It's going to change the way that we think about God. And so let me be your tour guide this evening. Welcome to the courtroom. On one side of the courtroom, we have none other than the defense. Here it is. This is where the accused sits. (laughs) We will all be accused. What? Uh, this is where the accused sits. This is the defense. They will make their claims to try to be innocent. And on this side is anybody know? Oh, we got an expert in here. This side, she watches too much Law and Order. Is the side of the prosecution. This is where the accusations are made. This is where evidence comes out against the accused. Right, this is where uh, those will uh, witness against the crime that has been done. This is the prosecution. And then, of course, the judge. The, judge. He, the, judge. the one who offers the final say, the judgment. He's going to give the verdict this evening. And here we are. The story this evening is an important case because this case is... something that we've all felt intuitively. It's a case about belonging. It's a case about acceptance. You see, the story we're going to read tonight is about a church in the first century in the city of Rome, and this church was facing uh, some accusations, right? There were people that would say these people of God, that these Christians don't really belong in the family of God, that because of how they lived or what they did or their background, or their history. They don't belong. They're not welcome into the family of God. They're not accepted. They don't cut it. They don't make it. They don't qualify. They're disqualified for the kingdom of God. And I think you and I, like, we know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to be disqualified. We know what it feels like to be on the outside, to not be accepted, to not be welcomed. And we know it in our, in our sports teams, When you're kind of in the group, but you're really not a part of the group and other groups that we're involved in. We even feel this amongst our own friends, right? This feeling of, do I belong here? Do I really belong here? Am I a part of this? Am I in this group? And if we feel that amongst our own friends, we feel that amongst our own groups and our teams. Like how much more terrifying is it to think, am I accepted in the kingdom of God? Do I belong in the kingdom of God can i stand before god or do i not make it do i, I don't cut it i'm not qualified and so this verdict that we're going to hear this evening is important because we're here this is where we are we're asking the question am i accepted in the family of god do i Belong, And on this side here, over here in the defense, as we're going to read about, like I said, it's the Roman church, right? They are being accused that they're not a part of the family of God, but there's something about this seat that feels really familiar. We know what it's like to sit in the seat of the accused. To have evidence put up against us to say why we don't belong, why we don't cut it, why we don't make it, why we're not good enough. And, and certain things cry out against us, right? We have regrets in our past. We have criticism from our peers. We have comparison of, of ourselves to others. And our insecurities are always... Calling out, they're laying up the evidence, they take out the laundry list and they're like, Here, 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 here's all the ways that you're not enough, that you're not good enough. We know what it feels like to be accused by these things. And so the verdict of this trial is close to home, it's in our hearts. We know what it feels like to be the accused. But I forgot one character this evening and the one who is accused always has a defender we'll call him the one who will advocate for their case the one who will bring up evidence of why they are not to be considered guilty of punishment and in our case our defender is the same defender that the romans encountered in their story so let's read let's read together romans 8 Chapter 31. Let's see if my... Sorry, Romans 8, verse 31. Mm, there we go. So he says this. He says, What shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who's raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. See, for the Christians in Paul's time, there were people outside the church that were saying, Dude, because of your heritage, because of what you've done, because of your lifestyle, you're not a Jew, right? You don't, have, you don't follow these laws. Like, your very uh, your very family line, all of your past, everything that you've done, it totally disqualifies you for the kingdom of God. You, you don't belong. You, you're not a part of God's family. And over and over again, these people would be calling out accusations, accusations, and they would be saying... They are, they're condemned. They're not a part of the family of God. They don't belong. Like, do you see, like, how they live and and who they are associated with? They're not a part of the family of God. And Paul, in, like, a series of questions, begins to ask, like, dude, who even are these people? Like, who are these people who are accusing you? Like, what are they saying? Like, what gives them the authority to make these claims? Are they the judge? Do they sit in this seat? Like, who even are these people? What authority do they have to make these claims? And those who are sitting in the prosecution chair, who are giving accusations, who are accusing, who are saying, man, yeah, they don't belong. They deserve punishment. They don't belong to be here. Sitting in that chair, calling out against them, I think we know what it feels like to have a few things in our chair, right? And the question is, who is who is sitting here? Who is accusing you? Who sits what sits in this prosecution seat for you? Maybe it's maybe it's one of those things that are up here. Right? Maybe there's something that is living in your past, or maybe a sin that you've done, or something, and it continually calls out like, dude if they knew, like, if they knew this, like, I will, I'll tell them, like, look at all of this that you've done. Like, I know, like, there's no way that you qualify for the kingdom of God, right? There's no way that you belong in this family. Like, there's no way. Maybe you're one of those that continually look at the mirror. Are you mentally put yourself up against some other person? You see all the ways they lack, like, oh, they have this, but like, I'm lacking in this, and, and I, I'm not enough in this, and I, I, I don't compare to this, and, and I, I can't be good enough in this area. Like, look what they have. Maybe it's this insecurity of this constant feeling like there's, I can't measure up to this, right? I can't be enough. I can't belong in the family of God because of the way I am. Do you feel the pain of not feeling like enough? And maybe sometimes um, it's actually something coming out from side of you, right? Like some of you go home and it's not a very great place, right? Constant criticism from every side. Like, what, you think you can make it? Wait, you're not smart enough for that? Like, you think you can get into college? Like, what? Like, no, you're not, you're not good enough for this. I know for me, if I'm being honest... What sits in this seat for me, the prosecution, the con- continual accusations coming against me, it's, it's a form of criticism. But it's not necessarily the criticism of those around me. It's an internal criticism. Right? Constantly looking at the things that I'm doing, and the things that I say, and like, oh man, I messed up here, and man, I'm not good enough here, and, and why can't I be better here, and I failed here, and every mark is, is pointing evidences against me. Right, it's accusing me. I can't, I feel the accusations of this. And as we sit here, all these accusations that come out, they feel super real. It feels so true when regret knocks on your door and says, Dope, you totally did that. Like, you can't hide that. You totally did that. Like, it's so real when your failures and the ways that you lack are blaring. It's like, this is, feels real. This feels like reality. Like this is the truest thing. These accusations feel true. And we look at this sentence and we go, yeah, yep. Like I feel this, this accusation of condemned. Like I know, like I see the evidence that's piling up against me and I agree with it. And I know that I deserve punishment, that I deserve the accusations against me, I feel condemned. But just like Paul writing to the Romans, he asks the same question here. Who even are these people? Who even are these people that accuse you, right? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. Like, who are these people? Like, are they the judge? Are they sitting in this seat? Do they actually get determined what's on this sign? The verdict feels done. We get the evidences against us, and we hear um, the accusations of our regret and and our insecurities calling out against us. We feel like the verdict is already set, but they're not the judge. These things don't decide. Who belongs in the family of God? The judge gets to make that final decision. And we see this really radical claim that if God is for us, if the judge is for us, who? Who has the power to be against us? Who can be against us? And it's a question that needs no answer. (laughs) He asked it because the answer is no one. We see that God is for me. God is for me. And if the judge himself does not condemn us, if the judge himself does not accuse us, then these accusations, the prosecution has no power. God is for me. But how do we know? How do we know that's true? How do we know that God is for us? We're like, okay, so he's not giving accusations. But how do, we, how do we really know that God is for me? Look what he's done. Look what Paul puts out for us here. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Remember, there's a defender over here. And God, in a great act of sacrifice, gave his son, Jesus, for us. Right, these last three weeks, we've been walking through the book of Philemon. And man, like, I don't know about you guys, but I've been, I've been really enjoying our time in Philemon. Like, it's amazing how such a small little book, like, packs such a big punch. And one, if you remember, last week, we sat up here with these two resumes Right, we had Paul's like spotless 4.0 great resume, and we had five, we had Onesimus's, which is gross and dirty and lazy, and he's terrible. And Paul told us in in that story, like take his record, but see it as mine. Like take my record as his. And this idea of substitution of a good record for a poor record is exactly what. Jesus did for us, because when we look at the things that are accusing us, right, when we look at our sin, we look at the things that we've done, we say, yeah, it feels super true. We are guilty. We are guilty of punishment, right? The sentence was death, but Jesus died for us, right? He took our punishment, the sentence of death. He took that for us, Right, so we know that God is for us because he gave us a defender. He gave us his son. But how do we know that it worked? Like, oh, great, we have a defender, but is it, is it enough? Is it enough to change the judgment? Is it enough to override the accusations? Like, how do we know that it worked? And we see it here. Christ Jesus is the one who died. All right, Christ Jesus is the one who died. The punishment for our sin says paid. Jesus stepped in to the places where we deserved punishment, right? We deserved accusation. where We deserved death. And he died that for us. It's paid and full. He took care of it. But more than that, look at this. It says Christ is the one who died. But more than that, he was raised. What does that mean? He was raised to life. Right? He he not only took our sin and our punishment to the grave, but he rose, he arose from death to life. And he was raised. This is like the most miraculous, bizarre, and awesome receipt you would ever receive. Right? Like. You know, you go to the store, most of you probably don't get receipts nowadays, but like, if you have to do anything with a business or your own life, sometimes you need receipts, right? It's like proof of payment, proof of payment, right? It receives a proof of payment. It says on this day, at this time, for this amount, it was paid, right? So Jesus took the punishment, he took the payment, he died, and then he rose again, like, ta-da, proof of payment, like, I'm alive. He's the only person in all of human history who is able to make this claim. And this is a claim that Christians, we read it together. We read the creed together that that claim that Jesus rose from the dead is so central to our belief because it it anchors everything in that this is true, that this really happened, that this is evidence of what God has done for us. So he's the one who died for us. He paid our punishment, but more than that, he rose to new life. And guys, like, just a side note with our citizens. We prayed earlier for those who are getting baptized on Sunday. This is what we're celebrating. Like, we get to celebrate this moment. That those 12 of our brothers and sisters that are going into the tank this Sunday, this is what they're declaring. That Jesus died for me. And I'm expressing that by going under the water. And he lived for me. He rose again. He took the punishment for my sin, and I get to live a different life because of that. So Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. And check this out, oh, this last line. if This doesn't change the way you live, man. We haven't read it well enough. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Not only do you have a judge who is for you, but the one who took your punishment that declares your innocence is always standing by God the Father, proclaiming your innocence to God. When the accusations are shouting and they're saying, look, she did this, look, he did that. Look what he's like. He's not enough here. He doesn't cut. He doesn't make it here. Jesus, who died and rose again, is standing next to God the Father saying, She's innocent. He's innocent. I took that. They're not condemned. And because of that, the verdict is truly in. And it says we've been justified. This justification is that before God, we are made righteous. Right? We're right. Before God, that nothing of these accusations that are shouting us can claim anything because we are justified. We are right with God. That Jesus took our punishment, He took our sin, and He made us right with God. He's Jesus is constantly praying for you. He's constantly telling God that you belong. When the accusations, when the chair of the prosecution is saying, they don't cut it, they don't belong, they're disqualified, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father saying, she belongs, he belongs, they're a part of my family, they're together. We're here. And for those of you here who've said, like, man, I want to follow Jesus, like, this has been done for us. Your, your sentence, your verdict has been changed from condemned to justified. And for those of you in here who, maybe you're checking this out, maybe you're not a Christian. You don't know if, if this is something you want to do. And if you want to follow God, like this is what, this is what we're calling You too, right? As gospel reclaimers, we're saying, apart from Jesus, we know the accusations. Apart from Jesus, we know the things that are against us. We know the ways that we lack. And we know that our sentence means condemned. But with Jesus, we are justified. We see a God that is for me. And if the God, if God, if the judge is for me, right, if the sentence if the verdict is justified, none of these things matter. Like the shouting and the yelling of like, you can't cut it. You're not good enough. You don't measure up here. Like you think you can make it like, look at this. All of this shouting has to be silenced because the judge has made the verdict and he's for you. God is for you. God is for me. All other voices are silenced because God is for me. There is nothing that can condemn me. There's nothing that anything on the chair of the prosecution can shout at you that lands because the judge is for me. He is so powerfully for you. So we open up our question and we say, man, do I belong in the kingdom of God? Like, do I belong in the family of God? Am I a part of this community? We ask, who can accuse me? We say, no one. Because the judge is for me. Right? God is for me. But is there anything that can occur in this life that might separate you from the judge and the verdict? Like, I've seen the radical, like, love of Jesus for me. That he took my sin and punishment. That he... Took the verdict of condemned, and he died in my place. And that love that he had is so big; it, it justifies me, it makes me right before God. But is there anything that can separate me from the love of God? Like, is there anything that I can do, or anything that can happen to me that would separate me from the love of God? Like, what if I get separated from the judge, and I don't, and I can't get this verdict? Like, is there anything in this life that can separate me from the love of God? And so, again, Paul. Begins to ask this question. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, the church in Rome, the people of God who were in the defense, right, who are being accused, they were not only being accused by those who thought they didn't cut it, who they couldn't belong in the kingdom of God, that because of what they did, they couldn't belong in the kingdom of God, but they're facing extreme persecution from outside, right? Literally death was a daily reality for them. They had to face it to the fact that they might die today, that the torture they're facing, that the suffering that they're facing is a very real reality. And it's no wonder that they might ask like, God, are you even here? Like, are you with me? Do you see the suffering that I face? Like, do you love me? Am I separated from you? And and Paul quotes this line here. This line is from Psalm uh, 44. He says, "For your sake we were became, were, are being killed all the day long. We we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered." Psalm 44 is this really like heartfelt, like wrenching song. Like you know when you like listen to one of those songs on the radio that just like stirs up all the emotions, and you're like scream crying in your car. Anybody else do that? Just me? Okay. <laughs> right. right? You know the songs that like stir up those emotions. We're like, ah! Right? This is Psalm 44 and they're crying out to God. He's like, I know you're good, but where are you, God? Like, I'm suffering. Like, I'm in pain. Like, our people are being oppressed. Like, God, where are you? And the psalmist is crying out. And one of the lines that comes after, he says this line. He, he The psalmist is crying out to God. He says, why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Paul is pulling out this emotion of the song they would have known because it's this question of God, have you left me? Can you ever leave me? Can I be separated from God? Is there anything that could happen that could separate me from the love of God? And so we looked at what sits in the chair of the prosecution? What accuses you? But I want to ask you, what threatens or what makes you feel like you're separated from God? What makes you feel like you're separated from God? It could be very real situations like Paul was even talking about in that, that scenario of suffering. There's real suffering that happens to our lives. You get the call that... Oh. I just dropped Jesus. I don't know what that means to the metaphor. (laughs) He'll be fine. (laughs) He raises from the dead. Um, (laughs) Right? Sometimes there's real suffering in our lives, right? You get a call that someone you love is ill or or someone you know has recently passed away or just things are hard. Maybe it's it's something inside that you're just struggling emotionally and you don't know what's wrong. Right? Maybe it's a legit need. I know. Um, in fact, when I was in middle school, there was my my parents sat us down one uh, evening um, to tell us that our financial situation is changing, and I didn't really understand it as a kid. But I just knew like something was wrong, like some kind of security that we were like fine was now like not fine, and it creates these ideas of man, maybe we're in need. Maybe you've had that situation where your parent has lost a job or something crazy has happened or you've had a move or there's some need in your life and you're wondering, man, is God with me in my suffering? Is the fact that I'm in need and suffering prove that God is not with me? Maybe it's, again, opposition, right, that voice of critique, the people um, from outside of you, like, I've talked to some of you in like the conversations that you have at school and you're like, well, how do I talk to this person when they're like, man, Christians are so weird on this thing. and I can't believe you believe that. And that's just silly. And, and all that opposition that you face. I think one of the biggest questions is, is there anything, maybe it's just biggest because it's the one that I relate to the most, but is there anything that I could do? Is there any mistake I can make? Is there any failure that I could have that would separate me from the love of God? Like, is there anything that I could do that would so disgust God that he would want to walk away from me? Like, can I scare God away by who I am, by a mistake I've made, my failure? Like, is there anything, do any of these things, can any of these things separate me from God's love? Is there anything that could take me away from my justified position that that God is for me? But if he's not with me, like, what do I have? And Paul answers this with a clear statement of certainty. He says, "No. Can anything separate me from the love of God?" He says, "No, no." And all of these things, and all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present or to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He says, no, not anything can separate me from the love of God. Not anything that can sit at this side of the table. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. God is with me. God is with me he's not only powerfully for me right he not only went to the greatest lengths to take care of my sin to take my punishment to call me justified he's not only for me there's not only there's nothing that can condemn me but he's with me he doesn't leave me there's nothing in this life there's nothing that can happen to me or nothing that I can do that could separate me from the love of God and he he lists all of these things I love These lists that he has, right? He's like, uh, can sword, can famine, can distress separate me? He says, no. And And he keeps going like, what about like death or life? Or what about things that are coming? Like things that I don't know, like fear of the future. Like, is there anything in this life that's coming that could separate me? Are there any powers? Is there any height or depth? Is there any hugely insurmountable thing that I can't get over that would ever separate me from the love of God? And he says, no, no. And all of these things, God is with us. God is with me. There's this phrase in here that's really interesting. Right? He says we are more than conquerors. He says knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Right? To conquer something would be to just like take care of it. Like if the biggest issue was like failure, right? If this is the thing that could threaten to separate me from God, then to be a conqueror would be to not fail, right? Like just kill failure, right? Don't fail. It's great, right? No, he says we're more than a conqueror. So he takes this thing that is dirty and bad and destroys our lives, right? These things that have the threat to like, like harm us and separate us from God. And he says, I'm going to take this thing and it's actually going to propel you. It's actually going to be for your good. Like your failures that make you feel separated from God. I'm actually going to turn that on its head for good. And I'm actually going to use that to bring you closer to God. Like your suffering, the things that make you wonder if God's left you, if he's not with you. He says, I'm going to use your suffering and I'm going to use it to bring you closer to me. He takes the things in our lives that threaten us that threaten that can can god love me and he turns on his head and he makes it for our good he uses it for us right he takes the bad and he works it for our good and so in all of these things and everything that we can imagine none of it can separate us from the love of god he is with me i love these these phrases here this um he says, in all these things, and anything else in all creation. Because I don't know about for you, but when I look at the list that Paul gives, I'm like, there's a few things that are not on that list, and I'm still wondering if that could separate me from the love of God. Like, in all these things, but anything else in all creation, not anything else in all creation can separate me from the love of God. This has been a passage that has been just kind of in my soul these last several months, you know, as I think about these things, because I feel like it gets really real when you think about what are those things I feel that can separate me from the love of God. When I think about it, it's like, man, not even like my biting perfectionism, like that need to be perfect, right? The criticism that comes at me from myself of like, you're not good enough here and you didn't make it here. And, and the claws of that, the burden of that, like not even that can separate me from the love of God. Like I can't even separate myself from the love of God. Like he is for me and he's with me and all of these things, nothing else in all creation, nothing else that you could throw at this table could possibly separate you from the love of God. Maybe you're in here and you're thinking, dude, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what it's accusing me. Like you don't know. Like, what can separate me from the love of God? But none of these things, nothing else, and all of creation can separate us from the love of God. So, as we open, we talked about this as a trial where the verdict answers the question do we belong in the kingdom of God? Do we make it? Do we cut it? And Jesus answers <laughs> yes. Because God is for me, and he's so beautifully with me. He doesn't leave me. God is for us, and God is with us. And along with Paul, where he says, I'm sure of this, I want us to root this into our souls tonight, that God is for me, that there's nothing, there's no accusation in the seat of the prosecutor that could come against me that could call me condemned because I'm justified in Christ. That God is for me. And there's nothing in this creation that could possibly separate me from the love of God because He's with me. And these are truths that are so hard to believe because these voices seem so loud. And so tonight, I want us to look honestly at these moments, at these things here. And we're gonna take a few moments and we're gonna we're gonna go into our small groups and we're gonna pray that God would help us to root this truth deep in our hearts, that God is for me and that God is with me. So as the band comes up, here's where we're going to go from here for our response. Um, Even in pairs or, or small groups, like, answer these questions. Like, what accuses you and what makes you feel like you're separated from God? Maybe it's one of these things here. Maybe it's something that's not listed here. I want you to just share that with the person next to you or with your small group saying, man, it's my regrets, the things that I've done, the things that I'm accused of. I feel like this is who accuses me. Or, man, maybe it's something over here that is separating me from the love of God. Maybe there's a circumstance I'm facing or even something I've done that I feel like is separating me from the love of God. Share those things and pray this truth over your heart that God is for you and God is with you. God's for you and you know it because he sent Jesus to die and raise from the dead. And he's with you. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God. Let me pray for you this evening. Lord God, we thank you. God, we thank you for this truth. God, we thank you that when the voices of our accuser, God, when the voices of our prosecutor shouting all the evidences for why we're not enough, for why we don't cut it, for why we don't belong in the kingdom of God, that we can look to Jesus And what he's done for us. And say God is for me. And if God is for me. Who has the authority to be against me? God is for me. God I thank you that even when we are facing things. That seem so huge. That they would separate us from you. Whether it's something that's happening in our lives or something that we've done. And we wonder, God, have you left me? Do you hear me? Do you know me? Have I chased you away? Am I separate from you? That you you declare so confidently, like, no. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. God, we thank you for this truth. God, that you are for us, that you are with us. God, would you help us to believe it? God, would you help my soul to grab onto this truth that would silence these voices of of fear and accusation and say, I know that you are for me and you are with me. God, may it be the bedrock of our lives when everything else is up in the air and changing, that we would stand on this firm foundation. God, that you are for me and that you are with me. That nothing can be against me, but nothing can separate me.